Hey there, if you are ready to build your service-based business from scratch and ditch your nine to five, then I want you to head on over to shedidherwaypodcast.com forward slash leap and download my free ultimate leap checklist and starter kit. Again, you can head to shedidherwaypodcast.com forward slash leap to download my ultimate leap checklist and starter kit to get started on building your service-based business and ditching your nine to five. Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, where it's all about making the ultimate leap from your nine to five and building a business and life you love, all while doing it your way. I'm your host, Amanda Boleyn. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful friends and She Did It Her Way listeners. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I'm so excited and inspired by today's guest, Emily Williams, who is a success coach, entrepreneur, and author with a seven-figure business who at one point couldn't get a job at Starbucks. And after experiencing a quarter life crisis, she moved from Ohio to London where she knew absolutely no one. And in 2014 launched her business, I Heart My Life. She made $442 in her first month and then went on to hit six figures in six months before her 30th birthday. She grew it to seven figures in under 18 months. This is incredible. Emily, I'm so excited to have you. And today she works with other female entrepreneurs all over the world, helping them bust through the obstacles that hold their dreams and goals hostage so that they can free themselves to live the life they want, build their own online business and hit their money goals. She's been featured in Money, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, Forbes and Success Magazine. Emily, welcome to She Did It Her Way. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, okay. So we have this amazing introduction. Your story is absolutely incredible and I'm so ready to dive in. And I know my listeners want to know the nitty gritty even more just like, okay, take us back to that moment after you graduated college and you made the decision, like, how did you decide London? What was it like? Take us back from day one and we'll move up to where we are today. Yeah, great. So yeah, so when I graduated from college, I really thought I had everything mapped out. And I thought I had this plan in place and that I was just going to move forward the way I'd I'd always envisioned it. Um, But it didn't turn out that way. So I literally I graduated at the top of my class with a degree in psychology. And um, that was back in 2008. And I flew around the US trying to figure out where I wanted to go to grad school. I literally applied to 12 different schools, went to visit nearly all of them, and finally decided that I was going to be going to Northwestern, which I know is near you, and um, get my (laughs) master's in counseling psychology. So I had this whole plan mapped out, was driving there to find an apartment in the city with my mom. My mom was the one who was driving. And I started to get this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like something was off and this was not the right decision for me. And I had no basis for that feeling. It was literally just a gut instinct. And in that moment, I started crying and I was trying to hide those tears, but my mom saw that I was crying and she asked me what was wrong. And I I just said, I don't think this is the right fit for me. I don't think this is the right decision. And she just kind of sighed and then turned the car around and we went back to Ohio. Wow. Yeah. And from there, can we just take a moment and pause and like, it's in that split decision when you listen to your gut and you knew something was off and it was just a matter of like, I don't think this is right. I mean, you emotionally and physically reacted to that feeling I just, that's incredible to do that. Most people, and maybe like even including myself, might have been like, oh, you know, this feeling's kind of normal. I'm just going to push through through it. But like 
that is amazing. So I'll continue. I just wanted to like call that out because it's not a small thing. I mean, that decision was huge. Yeah, I really, I always say that's the moment my whole life changed course, or at least the first moment. And looking back, I completely agree with you. I don't know what it was about that feeling that told me I, I, I literally had to turn the car around and I had to go back um, in, an, in the opposite direction. But it was such a strong feeling and I couldn't deny it. And I think that was one of those pivotal moments where I really started to trust myself and trust my heart. And, uh, I'll share more about my story in just a second. It's not, I'm not saying that's always easy, but our heart really does have the answers and provides so much guidance if we're willing to listen. Mm -hmm. But from there, I turned back, turned the car around, went back to Ohio and truly just entered into a depression and quarter life crisis because this plan that I thought that I had all mapped out all in place, it, it was, it fell apart. And so um, I was lost and I'd always been a high achiever. I'd always had a plan. I'd always, uh, felt like I was meant for something big mm -hmm. and to have just such a big question mark in the place of where my plan used to be. It was devastating to me and I felt like a failure. And for a few months I, I just struggled. I applied to Starbucks three times, as you mentioned, and then they finally gave me a job <laughs> um, and started working there. And I remember one morning in particular, my dad came through the drive-through and he's not a coffee drinker. He never was and that isn't to this day, but he just wanted to see me. And I was opening up the store at 5 a.m. He came through the drive-through and I saw him there and I literally wanted to throw up because mm. He had spent so much money on my education and was so supportive and he, he was always, you know, super successful and I admired him so much and wanted to make him proud, both of my parents proud. And for him to see me working in Starbucks, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just felt like I wasn't in the right place and that something had gone terribly wrong, but I couldn't figure out how to get myself back on track. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I just started to try to pay attention to my heart and what I thought I might want. And really, you know, for anyone listening to this, sometimes people think that clarity is just going to hit them like a ton of bricks, but it doesn't often happen like that. Wait, it doesn't? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. And I, I always say I've started noticing, realizing with myself is like, you know, practicing patience and moving past that because it doesn't, it doesn't hit you over the head. It's more of a process and a journey to it. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I just had to start to listen to what I call the little whispers. And it, so I just started to get nudges or inklings about something. And this is exactly what happened when I randomly ended up going to Europe. I, I went there to visit my sister who was studying abroad. And because I didn't have much going on in Ohio, I just decided to take this trip with my mom and visit my sister. And we stopped in London because my friend was living there and, and we just wanted to visit. And it was my first experience of the UK. And again, when I, when I stepped out of Victoria station and when I felt the energy of that city, I just felt like I was being called to something. And that's what I mean when I say those little whispers, it comes, you know, it's like a, something that excites you or something that lights you up and it might not make sense in the moment. Mm. But what I did is I just kept following, following those feelings and exploring them. And when, like I said, when I stepped out of Victoria station and realized that for whatever reason, I could see myself living in London. I figured I owed it to myself to at least explore that, at least figure out if it was even going to be possible for me. 
And I did realize it was possible if I got a student visa. So I applied for a master's in nonfiction writing because that was literally the only other thing I knew I wanted to do was to write a book. Mm -hmm. And so I moved there on August 24th, 2010. And, and like you read at the beginning of this interview, I didn't know anyone. I always say I moved with four suitcases and a dream, but literally, you know, kicked off my life in the UK then and haven't moved back yet. That is incredible. Okay. Let's unpack this a little bit. So you're following the whispers and I mean, can you describe the whispers? Because that is something that especially there's so much noise out there and it's, we can oftentimes find ourselves in this place of consuming, consuming, consuming. And then it really kind of buries a lot of the, the voice. So like how, what does it sound like and how can someone maybe identify that voice? that whisper. Yeah. It's really about looking at the emotion that you're experiencing. So I always say that even, even jealousy can be a whisper. So, so many of us were addicted to social media. We're scrolling through our Instagram and picture after picture, we're experiencing jealousy, whether it's someone taking a trip or seeing that someone got a raise or someone had a baby or whatever it is, it evokes emotion in us. And we're so programmed to push that emotion down or to just brush it off or try and ignore it. But my invitation, is always for people to listen to what's coming up for them and to really experience their emotions because our body gives us clues. Just like for me, when I stepped out of that train station, it was, it was this, it was the weirdest feeling. I don't even really know how to describe it, except that I felt like I was home. I felt like I could easily see myself living in London and I had no basis for that. I I only knew one person there and she ended up moving. (laughs) And, but I just figured if I didn't do it now, I would never know. And I started Mm. to ask myself, like, really, what's the worst that could happen? Right now, I'm sitting in Ohio. I'm super unhappy. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. It's kind of now or never in a lot of ways. And so when people start to allow themselves to even be the observer of what's coming up for them and follow any of the feelings that are coming up, they'll be surprised because they'll get so much more clarity and they'll be so much more in alignment with their life. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Um, okay. So you arrived in 2010 and you enrolled in the master's writing program. I mean, when did you really start to realize that, okay, I want to do coaching because I think like you have such an amazing story and journey from where you like graduated college, made that decision to where you are today. Can you unpack sort of, if you were to put your business and life journey into chunks, into different seasons, like take us back to maybe the first three years of starting your business and what was that like? And then what was the middle piece like? And then now what was the last like two to three years like in terms of building your empire and your business and talk to us about how, you know, you made seven figures in 18 months and what that was like. Yeah. So when I first got to London in 2010, I actually worked as a nanny and I did a bunch of odd jobs before discovering the world of coaching. So I was a nanny, I was an assistant, I even worked as a matchmaker. And so when I landed here, I I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was still, it's like my quarter life crisis followed me across the pond. So (laughs) I was really in exploration mode. And You're I think like, that was supposed to be left in the States. Exactly. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. And so, yeah, that was challenging. And, and at the same time, I knew that I just had to keep going and I had to continue to, um, 
focused on the fact that I knew that I was meant for something big, but I just didn't know what it was yet. And I think a lot of people feel that and they, they end up staying in the place of settling instead of continuing mm-hmm. to move forward and exploring what that something big might be for them. Um, but I spent a few years really exploring and just trying different roles. Even like I said, writing my book, I did some journalism classes. So all these things, I just kept exploring and following my heart. And eventually it led me to April, 2004 or 2013. My best friend sent me this email and it just said, I thought you'd like this. And below that line was a link to Marie Forleo's website. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know who she is. Um, She's one of the amazing coaches in our industry, the creator of B-School, someone who's been going strong for, I mean, for a long time now in the industry and has paved the way for so many of us. And I resonated with her website and her message and just who she was immediately. And I really believe that's the second moment my whole life changed course, because although I had known about coaching, my dad always had coaches when I was growing up, but they were like men in suits carrying little three ring binders coming Mm -hmm. to our house. And Marie was a completely different type of coach. And so I allowed myself, again, I allowed myself to follow that feeling and just explore, explore people like Marie and Danielle Laporte and other amazing women in the industry and see what they were up to. And it really, as cheesy as it sounds, it was like that light bulb moment for me where I realized that was what I was meant to do. And I finally had clarity and was able to move forward. Mm-hmm. What type of coaching then when you, uh, when you first discovered it, what, um, you know, are you still doing the same type of coaching that you're passionate about or has that also evolved with your business? Yeah, it's definitely evolved. So when I started I Heart My Life, it really was to help other women fall in love with themselves and their lives. Because for so many years, I was in that quarter life crisis and did not love my life, did not feel like I was living my purpose. And so I tried to think about where I was a step or two or five ahead of my ideal client at the Mm -hmm. time. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle is they think that their ideal client right now has to be their forever client, but you're not getting a tattoo on your face. This is, <laughs> this is something that can change. And so I started there, but it quickly evolved into me working with driven female entrepreneurs because people started to take notice of the brand that I created very quickly. And they started to ask me how I did what I did. And so although I never planned to, I, like I said, I ended up working with female entrepreneurs, which is who we serve today. And at the same time, I do feel that things, maybe they've almost come full circle because I believe that the vehicle through which we support women is entrepreneurship, but our main focus is really supporting people and creating a life that's better than their dreams and living a life based on their desires. And everything is about following your heart and and knowing that if you're meant for something big, which everyone is, then it's your duty to follow it and to continue to believe that it's possible for you. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said too, um, a little bit ago, just about how, you know, if you were one step, two steps, five steps ahead of your ideal customer avatar, because I think a lot of people, and I've been there too, where I'm like, oh, if I don't know everything, then what gives me the justification or the right or the permission to teach anything? And it really truly is like you were saying, just being one step in in front. And so I would love for you to kind of, you know, share a little bit more about that and how you handle or handled imposter syndrome and what that was like for you. 
Yeah, it was really interesting because I actually got a lot of people coming to me at that time saying, you know what, I really resonate with your story. And I love the fact that you're just a little bit ahead of me because it shows me what's possible and it shows me that I can do it too. And it gives me a glimpse into what's literally around the corner for me. And so I think that we need to shift our mindset around how qualified we need to be or what people expect Mm. from us. And really recognize that right now where we're at and what our story illustrates right now today is enough. And there are tons of people out there that we can help. And as you move forward in your business, things will start to snowball. So things will pick up and you'll be more steps ahead of people and you'll be able to serve a wider range of client. But we all have to start you know, at a certain place and then we build from there. And, and the important key word there is just to start. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And okay. So jumping ahead to the 2014. So in July, you had yeah. your first client. Talk to us about getting your first client and what that felt like or, and what did you do? Yeah. So <laughs> I love this question. Um, I just, I, I can see myself right now getting this first client because it literally happened <laughs> when we were in San Francisco and I was sitting on a park bench and we had ridden bikes across the Golden Gate Bridge. We were with my parents. They paid for us to take this trip. And we had landed in Sausalito. It took ages because oh. I, I hate riding bikes. And I'm a weirdo. And, and <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that trek, but it was really long. <laughs> no, I haven't done the trek, but I've gone over the Golden Gate and I've been to Sausalito. And it, yeah, that definitely doesn't sound like it'd be a short bike ride. <laughs> no. And I was going super slow. Um, and so anyway, we ran really late and I had these two client potential client calls scheduled. And so we had this lunch and then I had to borrow my mom's phone because I had my British phone, which was international. I didn't want to get like this massive bill. And so I borrowed my mom's phone. They went back to San Francisco and my husband and I stayed in Sausalito and he waited in this line for the ferry that was super long. He waited for me for like two hours in the sun. And I was sitting on this park bench trying to pretend like I wasn't on a park bench talking to these potential clients. And one ended up signing up and the other one ended up telling me about a program that actually changed my life. So both were really successful, but I made $442 that day, July, 2014. And that was my first client. That is amazing. Um, and you also share too, like, I mean, you're so vulnerable and on the website too, when you talk about in July that year as well, like you were $30,000 in credit card debt and that wasn't including your student loans. And can you, cause that is something that, um, I think like not a lot of people discuss, but it's also really inspiring to see like how, vulnerable and open you are. And yet, um, really curious about like, how did that from a mindset standpoint impact you and how did you continue pushing forward and not get into a mindset rut? Well, yeah, I love, I love this question as well because it's so important. Um, and I'm perfectly, I'm really honest about this. Mm -hmm. Credit cards have been a huge part of funding my business because for the majority of us, we don't have the money sitting under the mattress when we start our company. Why would we? I mean, one of the reasons we're starting is to create financial freedom. And so most likely we're in a job or in a career that's not lighting us up and we get this idea 
to move forward with our own business. And most of us don't have the money sitting there. And so in my opinion, in my experience, credit cards have been a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. And I was $30,000 in credit card debt because I moved to a city in uh, a city where things were pretty pricey and I was working as a nanny and, you know, all this stuff had compounded. And so when I started my business, I actually didn't have any room on my credit cards. And so my husband lent me the money to start I Heart My Life and to join this program that I just mentioned earlier um, that really helped me kick kick off, you know, everything and get started and move forward. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that you probably won't have the money just sitting there. And I'm not saying that you need to put a ton of it, a ton of money on a credit card. You have to do what's right for you. But I think people hold themselves back because they have this fear that they're supposed to have the money and they don't. So they can't get a loan or they can't ask to borrow it or they can't put it on a credit card. And, you know, the interest that you're going to pay on a credit card, in my opinion, that's far less scary than someone not going for their dreams. Mm. That's the way I looked at it. You know, I'd rather have to pay a bit of interest or take a, a risk. And I'm doing air quotes right now, even though you can't see me. But for <laughs> me, the bigger risk was staying in a job I didn't love and not living up to my full potential. And so when you start to focus on the desire and, and, and not the fear, then that fear will dissipate. Mm, I love that. Focus on the desire and not the fear. And um, the, I'm just taking that note because I want to keep that. Um, okay. So with that, because it is, it's this stigma in society that debt is bad. And, you know, it's a lot about like what you attach the meaning to like anything in life and what, what do you make debt mean in this case? Right. So for you and people listening out there that are tuning in, um, how do you, if someone's risk adverse or doesn't, isn't necessarily comfortable with like credit card debt. Did you have a plan? Cause I I'm with you in the same boat that if you're able to use, like, you know, if you want to buy a program and it's $2,000, but it's going to teach you the exact steps of what you need to do. And it's like, why wouldn't you put it on a credit card? Because it's going to get you closer to the desires in your dreams. So do you have any recommendation or any sort of tips and yeah. insight on like how to be smart when you use debt to build your business. Cause it's also, this will be the last thing I say too. There's, I mean, there's so many large companies out there, like multi-million billion dollar companies that use debt as a way to fund their businesses. And I don't think that's necessarily needs to be any different from our standpoint as online entrepreneurs or in, in any case. And it obviously comes down to a personal choice, but, um, not making credit card debt mean like it's a negative thing or that anything else aside from that it's neutral. So I would love your thoughts on any sort of like tips and tricks and insights on how to be like smart with it. If you decide to use credit card debt as a way to fund your business in this, in the beginning stages. Yeah, I think you first have to reframe it and think about it from a different perspective, at least in the Western world, it's so accepted to get um, a student loan to get, um, uh, yeah, to take out student loans to get some support with funding your dreams in terms of education. And we all know that an education is going to support us in moving forward and getting that job, or at least that's what we're taught to believe. And yet, when we start our own business, there's this weird... Um, 
thing that comes up for entrepreneurs, especially women, like, like this feeling that we don't need any help or that we can do it ourselves or that it's wrong to put, put an investment or a program on a credit card um, because we should be able to just make it happen. And I don't know where that comes from. It's very strange because none of us are born entrepreneurs. So how in the world would we know how to do it? <laughs> and like, no, 100%. Said, Exactly. Like you just said, you, it's faster. If you get someone to help you and to give you the pieces and the stepping stones, that's so much faster. And so I had to really reframe debt in my mind. And I actually, for a long time, didn't use that word. I used the word investments instead, Mm -hmm. because that's what I saw. Like the reason I had a student loan was because I had invested in my future. I invested in my education. This was no different. And so I really had to shift the emotional pool that the word debt even had on me and start to flip it to investment and think about it like a positive thing because I was investing in my success. I was getting support. And frankly, the fact that I was able to create a six-figure business in six months and a seven-figure business in 18 months, it's proof that getting support actually works. And yes, you need to do the work. You need to show up. But there's no way I could have achieved those milestones had I been struggling to do this on my own. There was a period of time where I had 54 no's in a row, people who did not want to work with me. And I got the support to understand why that was happening. Why wasn't I making sales? What could I be doing better? Because again, we're not born knowing all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. first and foremost, shift what you're thinking about investments right now. Make it normal to invest in your business. There are people, for example, my brother's an entrepreneur. To start his first business, he had to go out to investors and raise $300,000 in capital. Now, those of us who are running businesses like we're talking about here, Amanda, obviously we don't need that level of investment. So we're actually really blessed. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird skewed thinking that you can just start and you know everything from the get-go and you don't need to get help along the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, okay, so you got your first client and then from July, 2014 to October, 2014, you decided you're like, okay, I'm quitting the nine to five and I'm going all in with coaching. What got you to a place to know? Cause a lot of my listeners are in that stage where like I was sharing with you earlier that they're in their corporate cubicle and they want to quit their job. And a lot of questions I get is, you know, when is the right time? So I would love for you to share, like, how did you know that it was the right time for you to quit your nine to five? Yeah. And this goes back to the question that I apologize. I didn't answer properly for you. You need to have somewhat of a plan in place. So so what happens when people use um, credit cards or have a fear of using credit cards? It's, it's really comes down to them not knowing that they're going to be able to make the money back. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have faith in yourself and your abilities. And it's the same thing when you leave your nine to five job. So I started to generate and to create a lot of faith in myself and confidence. And again, it comes down to trusting your heart. I knew that I was meant for something big. I knew I was onto something and me being in my nine to five job for, I was, I was part-time for a while. I don't know how many hours it was, 25 hours a week. That was not serving me. I knew that if I could give everything to the company, then things would happen quicker. And luckily I wasn't someone who had an, you know, an amazing salary. I was making like $30,000 a year or something. So I knew worst case scenario, I could just get another job. I didn't have kids, didn't have a mortgage. So I know there's other factors that people need to consider, but you also have to ask yourself the time you're spending in your nine to 
five job, what would happen if you took those hours and put it into your business? What would happen if you just gave yourself permission to try? Like what is really the worst case scenario? And for most people, it's that they, it won't work out and they'll just have to get another job. But really when you think about it, is that really the worst case scenario? Because in my opinion, the worst case scenario is you never actually trying mm-hmm. and not knowing what you're capable of. hundred percent. Yeah. That is and almost so more for, painful to not yeah. know than to get a different, to go back and get a job after you've tried. Exactly. Yeah. And I started to get this feeling in, in that, that month in October that I was supposed to quit. And I remember talking to one of my coaches and I said, you know, I, I really, I can't be in this job anymore. I don't have time. I want to be running this business full time. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to quit tomorrow. And she said, well, what's stopping you? And I said, well, I feel like I need to pay off all my credit cards first. I need to pay off my student loans first, so on and so forth. And she's like, well, what would happen if you just released that? And I just sat with it. And literally the very next day, my boss at the time, she discovered my website. And I had told her that I was running this company, but I don't think she realized how legit it actually had become. (laughs) (laughs) And she freaked out and called me and she was crying. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I just quit that day, like the very next day. Oh my gosh. It's it's incredible what happens when you give space to it. And Um, the, what you just shared the conversation between you and your coach, I know is going to hit home for so many people to realize like, um, you know, like if you're waiting for the perfect moment or you're waiting for something specific to happen, like, are you actually blocking what it is that you want to come into your space because you've created these constructs and rules for yourself that it has to be a certain way? Or is it possible that like you could buy being okay. And in this case scenario, being okay with, um, the debt and saying like, I'm going to release that and I'm going to take the energy and focus on the business. Like you could potentially like make even more revenue to pay off that debt faster than if you would try to tag team both of them at the same time. So I love that. Um, I know, um, I want to be mindful of your time as well, but I would love for you to share. So you went from in 18 months to seven figures. Could you, um, what was like one or two things that really catapulted you into scaling to that level in that amount of time? Yeah. Um, great question. And I don't have anything else today, so I have more. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So like I said, I I got support and, um, at the time I was working with a coach and she had a next level program that was designed to get you to seven figures. And I remember seeing this program and I completely, I immediately discounted it. And I was like, there's no way that I can do this. I'm not meant for this. You need to be at least 30 years old to take part in it. And I had all these reasons why it wasn't for me. And then I think a few weeks later, she reached out and she said, I've been seeing your progress and I really think that you could be the right fit for this next level opportunity. Do you want to talk about it? So I spoke to her about it and ended up signing up, which was a huge decision because it was $120,000 to be a part Mm -hmm. of this program. And there were only six of us in it. And it was, it was really incredible. And I couldn't even believe that my husband, James got on board with that, but he did. And, and he, you know, had faith in me and I had faith in, in what was possible. And, um, so I, I started this program and the reason why I'm sharing that is because 
oftentimes we don't have belief in ourselves and we don't see what's ca- what we're capable of and what's possible until other people show, show us. And mm-hmm. that was the case here. I surrounded myself with people who really believed in me and other women who were going for their big dreams and making a lot of money in the world. And I remember this coach telling me, she said, you know, do you know that you have the ability to turn your yearly salary into your monthly income? And I was like, really? I don't know anyone making $30,000 a month, but she kept telling me and showing me over and over that it was possible. And when people do that, it, it helps you to really develop belief in yourself And the reason why our clients are so successful at I Heart My Life is because our work also helps get them on the frequency of everything that they want. And so many people are playing at a small level and they're not available to see what is possible for them or they think that it's possible for other people, Um, but it's really possible for them as well. And so I always ask and and instruct people to say, you know, if someone's out there doing it and you want to do it too, why not you? Mm -hmm. And just ask yourself those questions and, and uncover what might be holding you back from going to the next level or seeing yourself in someone else's shoes or achieving what they're doing. So from my perspective, the first thing that was essential was my own belief in myself and my ability. Then after that, it was creating something that was more scalable. So for a while, I was doing one-on-one work. I had 27 one-on-one clients at one time, which I would not recommend to (laughs) anyone. Yeah, that's a lot. No, that's amazing though. And yeah, incredible. Yeah. And I realized, obviously, that's one-on-one is not a business model. And so I needed to figure out something else. And so I was able to create some group programs. And I ran um, the same group program. I think it was three or four times in the span of a year. Had my one-on-one clients. I hosted intensives. I mean, I'll be pretty frank with you. I was working between 80 and 100 hours a week. And so I was hustling and I'm not here to tell people that hustling is the recipe for success. But if you want to have a fast path to a certain money milestone, you're going to have to show up and you're going to have to do the work and you're going to have to be willing to continually raise the bar. I know a lot of people stay with the one-on-one model for years and they never, you know, want to, they don't expand and they wonder why they're not making more money. And so I was willing to test things and to put myself into positions that maybe I wasn't ready for. I remember I even hosted my first live event and my coach told me, she's like, I don't know if you want to do this. Like, are you ready for this? I was like, yeah, I want to do it. And so I just continually stretched myself and expanded not only my mindset, myself personally, but also the company and what we offered. And it continued to grow. Now, today, do you still offer the same things or have you refined or pruned some of the things that you did in the beginning that you don't do anymore? And if you decided to retire a program, what was the thought process behind it? Yeah, it's always about alignment. So you asked me in the beginning of this um, interview about the different chapters. And for a while, you know, we were in the chapter of, of relaunching the same programs, working with the same types of clients. And then there was a point where I was sitting at a conference and I was filling out this questionnaire that the, the conference leader was asking us to fill out. And he was just going around the room speaking and giving prompts. And one of the questions he asked was, are you happy? And I heard within myself, I heard the answer, no. And I couldn't believe it because I was freaking running a company called I Hurt My Life and Mm -hmm. I Don't Hurt My Life. 
And I had to really sit with that and, and ask myself what it was that was, that was causing this. Like, why wasn't I happy? And so that really led to a chapter of self-discovery and self-love and figuring out what my work and my purpose really is in the world. And fast forward to last year, I mean, we literally released all of our team. We completely revised all of our programs and offerings and I mean, like literally everything. And so it's been a year of revamping and restructuring and actually building what is now such a solid company that we can build on top of and, you know, scale to the next level. Um, but it's been super interesting. So there was that chapter of self-love. Now there's been this chapter of like almost reinvention. And that's why I feel in a lot of ways we've kind of come full circle because now we're, we're really, I mean, we work with women who, who dream big and want to go big and it's, not just about strategy and systems and structures and business. It's about creating a life that lights them up. Mm-hmm. What, um, oh my gosh, I just had a question and it, it slipped my, slipped the, slipped my tongue. Um, yeah. you were talking about, oh, okay, here it is. So as you've gone through, you've grown, you have the success. I think a lot of people would, you know, oftentimes, especially around the financial piece is that, People think that because you're financially successful, you are automatically happy and it doesn't necessarily like one of the big things Tony Robbins is, is about the art of fulfillment. And how did you maintain making sure um, that you are continually in this place of fulfillment? And if you veered off of it, how did you get back? And I guess maybe as I'm asking this question, it's probably goes back to the realignment and continuing to listen to that whisper. But I would love for you to share if there is any moment where you found like, okay, um, maybe I'm not as necessarily as fulfilled as I was. And like, how did you get back to that? And maybe it is that realignment piece. Yeah, it's definitely realignment. I mean, I think you know, as coaches, we often teach what we need to learn for ourselves. Mm. And there's a reason why my company is called I Heart My Life. And I think for me, because I'm always raising the bar, and I'm always wanting to go to the next level, I have, I, I've often struggled with being fulfilled in the moment, because I can see so clearly what's possible. I can see my billion dollar brand mm. in my mind. And so part of me is like, why am I not there yet? <laughs> And so my default is to make the present moment wrong. And so that's one of the things I'm actively working on every single day is to try and and figure out how to be happy in the present moment, even when I see myself doing, you know, much bigger things and wonder why in the world they haven't happened yet. I need to realize my life is happening right now. And so I'm going to be completely honest with you in that I'm not quite there yet. I'm still a work in progress in many ways. Yeah. I love, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's such a good reminder that the present moment is not wrong. And knowing like if you're listening and tuning in and you find yourself, you're on your commute or maybe you're working out because I know that you guys listen and work out um, and all that stuff. Like if you're asking yourself like, why am I not further along? It's your present moment isn't wrong. And I love that you shared that. And that's even, that's such a good reminder for myself as well. Cause I can be very impatient if you can see it and you're like, okay, so why isn't it like that yet? Because I know exactly what I need to do. Like, can it be here yesterday? And it's part of, part of the process. I love it. Um, okay. Take us up to speed. What are you super grateful for right now in this moment? 
I'm grateful. My book, as we're recording this, literally comes out in less than a week. And as I've shared here, I moved to London and got that master's in nonfiction writing. So writing a book has always been uh, a huge goal of mine. So it's going to be released with Hay House in just a few days. So I'm super pumped about that. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so exciting. Um, And share with us kind of like, what does your average day look like? in terms of like making sure that you're still finding your flow and being centered and getting everything done in your business that you need to get done. Yeah. So it's really interesting right now because we are in London and most of our team, well, all of our team is either in Canada or the U S and so for me, the mornings are all about me and getting as much done as I can in terms of returning emails or reviewing materials or focusing on our clients and answering questions. And then in the afternoon, it's calls, not, not every single day, but we'll have calls with the team or I'll do interviews like this, or most of our clients are in the US as well. And so we have coaching calls. Um, so it's kind of split up like that. And that works for me at the moment because I like to write in the morning. I like to get things done. Um, we are going to be moving to California in just a few months though. So that will change things up a bit. Um, and for me, I'm still trying to figure out my morning routine. I've tried every single morning routine under the sun, I think, and still am a work in progress, which is frustrating at the time, but, or, you know, sometimes, but, um, still a work in progress in terms of what works for me every single day. I think it's more of a variety that feels good to me right now. So sometimes I'll go to spinning class. Sometimes I go to yoga. Sometimes my husband and I will take a walk in the morning. Um, so truly it just depends. Yeah. And, um, you did mention something that made me, I wanted to ask as well. So being in London in the UK and, assuming and maybe, maybe not, um, having clients that are in the States, did you find any challenges or how did you work around your schedule in terms of, um, meeting with your coaching clients? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I was a bit more flexible, so I'd work with clients, um, later on into my evening, but I also know, especially as a coach, I'm sure you're the same with, you give a lot to the people in your company. And so you need to be on form. And so now I don't do calls. I think my latest call goes until 5 PM my time now. Mm -hmm. And so I just had to realize I needed to put myself first and to make sure that I was going to be able to be present and give my all to my clients. And that wasn't going to happen if it was like at 9 p.m. But yeah, yeah, I mean, part of the reason why we're moving is because it makes a lot more sense for our company and for our clientele and our team for us to be in the U.S. So I am excited for that shift and I'll have calls in the morning, which will be cool. Yeah. I think. <laughs> a change. Well, I definitely like moving is no small feat. So I will be yeah. cheering you on and sending good, <laughs> um, positive, calm vibes for sure. So as we um, wrap up, I want to go into what I like to call a rapid fire round. So these are just meant to be quick, fast, and anything like the first thing that comes to mind. So what is something that is a non-negotiable for you? Great question. Fine business class or first class. Ooh, I love it. Um, what is the best $100 or less purchase you've ever made in business or life? The first thing that came to mind for me were books. I don't think I can pick just one, but books have been such an, a pivotal um, element to my transformation. Mm -hmm. What's, um, can you share a few of your favorite books? Yep. So I love big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, the big leap by Gay Hendricks, um, the science of getting rich by Wallace D Waddles and trust by Elanya Van Zant. Mm. 
you are the third person today that I've heard big magic from. I'm going to take that as a sign from the universe because that's the third time I've heard it and it's not even 10 a.m. on Central Time. So (laughs) I'm going to take that. (laughs) There's obviously something in there. Um, And then the big leap. And then what was the last one? I'm sorry. It's called Trust by Ianla Van Zandt. I mean, that is a must read for every single person in the world because everything, success, when it boils down to it, it's all about trusting yourself. Mm. Yes. What is, what, um, what's been your favorite purchase that you've made as part of a celebration for a milestone? Um, probably taking trips. So when my husband joined our company, he left his nine to five job and, um, I surprised him with a trip to Venice, Italy. And that was really special to kick off our surprising partnership. (laughs) We never expected to work together, um, to kick it off in that way. I love it. That's amazing. And then the last question I have is where can my listeners find out more information about you? Yeah. My website is iheartmylife.com. I'm also on Instagram every single day and our handle is iheartmylifenow. I love it. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I know my listeners uh, will get so much out of it as well. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor. I've enjoyed it too. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can head on over to she did it her way podcast.com where you can access the entire vault of she did it her way podcast episodes and more information all about how to make the ultimate leap from your nine to five. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful if you headed on over to iTunes and left a review, letting me know what you love about the she did it her way podcast until next time, keep doing it your way.